Hi, I'm Heather Corrigan. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll be good. I swear to that God. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to How I Survived This, the totally badass and dramatic podcast where we dive into the good, the not so good, and the totally badass journeys of women in the arts. I'm your host, Heather Corrigan. We're here today to learn about each of my guests' unique journeys from their wins to their darkest hours and all of the dramatic moments in between. So grab a drink, snacks, or whatever, and get comfy, because today we have as my guest Kat Cho. A graduate of the New School for Drama, Kat is a multi-level threat as an actor, producer, and writer, having been in shows such as Quantico, Maniac, Law & Order SVU, as well as appearing on stage in Avenue Q, Noises Off, and Are You There, Truman. Welcome to our podcast, Kat show. Hi, Heather Corrigan. (laughs) I'm so happy to see you. It's so nice to see you. But the last time, well, the last time we saw each other was not a very happy time. But previously, as probably will be the case for most of these podcasts Mm -hmm. that are now happening in person or most of these reunions, I haven't seen you since before. COVID. COVID. I know. So crazy. Mm. And time has gone fast and slow at the same time. So, yeah, I know. It's still trippy. It's still trippy to me that we're going on year three of this stuff. Doesn't make any sense. Um, But remind me, Mm -hmm. because I can't remember. (laughs) Uh We were in class years ago together. We were in, yes, we met. It was a class that Di and Mark were teaching, was it? It must have been a class through Jen Waldman's studio, right? I guess. Which for me is... Another lifetime Yes. Ago. I think there's, like, a new generation of, like, people who have, well, like— 100 percent. Gone I mean, in and out. And, like, people we were in class with, I think, are now teaching class, which also makes me feel like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? No. I don't understand. A- a- ancient. That's that's how I feel 100 percent whenever I think of all of the people that are new in the forum or who are just graduating from some sort of— arts program. And congratulations on graduating if you've just graduated from an arts program. But if you haven't, and it's been a long time since you've graduated, sometimes you can kind of pinch yourself and be like, what's happening? What am I still doing? I know. What am I doing? How am I existing? How did, I mean, I talk to my friends from grad school all the time and we're just like, how did that happen? And it's just (laughs) That's insane. It is insane. It is insane. But so then, tell everybody you went to grad school. I went to grad school, yes. I went to the New School for Drama for an MFA in acting. And then I graduated three years later. It was three of the best and worst years of my life, I think. It was three of the happiest years of my life. I still think so. Just because I got to be an artist every single day. You know, you get to be on this road of self-discovery, but it's also really hard because you're getting your guts ripped out every single day and that wears on you after a while. I mean, it was long days. It was like 12, 14, sometimes 16-hour days. Again, wow. which... But you loved it. I loved it. Yeah, I really, really loved it. I was older when I went back to grad school. I had had another career before I'd been in film production, and then I got burnt out. And then I decided to be an actor, which thrilled my parents. <laughs> so wait, did your did your parents have that sudden realization that you wanted to be an actor when you went to grad school or when did you first know? They had no idea. So it was like, I look back on it now. I went to NYU for film production and was like, yeah, I'm going to 
be a filmmaker, be a director. And the really funny thing about film school is that everyone comes in thinking they're going to be a director because that's all they know. But, you know, there are other ways to be in this business. You can be a sound designer. You can be like a sound recorder. You can like be a video editor. You can be there's millions of jobs in the film industry, which is when you're 18. You have no idea. All you know is like directors, directors. So I graduated and I worked as video editor for a long time. I started out as PA, of course, and like worked my way up. And then I just got burnt out. Like when you're young, like when you're 20 or something, being on a set for 16 hour days, running around doing this, you're just so happy to be there. You right. Know? But you expend so much energy all the exactly. time. And, you know, when you're young, too, you don't know quite how to handle all the pressure. And the thing with me was that. I got promoted fairly fast because I was good at my job and I was capable and people threw me a lot of responsibility right away. And that's great. But in terms of like learning to handle that responsibility, there's a reason why a lot of people in that business like drink and smoke a lot. And I became one of them. And, you know, you just burn out after a while. It's like I'm drinking and smoking like all the time to release all this (laughs) energy to relax. And my body is saying, okay, enough. I sort of lost my love for it. I burnt out. And I was like, well, what else am I going to do? And my roommate in college had been an actor. And she and I were having drinks. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's like, this is what I wanted. And now what do I do now? And she's like, well, you try new things. And I'm like, well, what am I going to try? And she's like, you know, you were always fairly good at acting. I know you made fun of actors a lot. Because as a rule, (laughs) being a film student, you're like way too cool to like deal with (laughs) actors. And um, she's like, but you were always fairly good at it. Why don't you just take a class for fun? I was like, all right, fine. So I did. And I was like, oh, this is actually fun for me. And then I signed up for a program. I think it was at the American Academy. They had a Saturday program. Uh I was like, okay, I'll do that. I was still working in film production. And I think my parents just thought like, oh, you know, she's taking classes and so she can like get to know actors and become a better director. And I was like, okay, you can think what you think. I'm... So when did they finally know that <laughs> When you I made... applied to grad school and when I got in was and, when they found out. And yeah. their reaction was? Their reaction was shock. My mom was like, I don't understand. <laughs> I think my father just kind of sat there. The funny thing was I had gone to London, I think, two years before to study at RADA at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art for a oh. summer. So when you went to London for that program, it was a summer program? It was a summer program. Your yeah. parents were like, just explore. Yeah, just we explore. We love education. Ex- but they yes, had no like, just explore. And well, it was Shakespeare. And I was like, you know, like, I love Shakespeare. I think it'll help me. I was just kind of cagey about my reasons for going. <laughs> I still remember my cousin making fun of me at a family function. He's like, so, like, when do you go to Shakespeare camp? <laughs> I was like, it's not camp. <laughs> but my whole family, like, got in on the joke. And they're like, oh, yeah, she's going to Shakespeare camp. I'm like, oh, my God, I hate everyone. Um, no, I'm kidding. I love my family. But <laughs> So I went to Shakespeare camp. And I came back and then um, I just told like my closest friends, I think I want to do this, be an actor. And the same friend who had told me to try classes, you know, she was a working actor and she was sitting there. I still remember we were sitting in a bar in like the East Village. She's like, "Okay, here it is. You know what my life is. It's 98 percent trying to get a job and 2 percent actually having one. Wait, repeat that. 98 percent getting trying to get a job and 2 percent actually having one. And I knew that from seeing her. Like, I saw how hard she worked. She was like, you have to be okay with that if you're going to do this. Right. But when did it hit you that that statistic was going to be my life? Your life. 
Or was that today? Did that hit you it's today? every day. <laughs> it hits. No, you know, that always comes back. Like that thought, like mm-hmm. 90% trying to get a job, 2% actually I have one. You know, it, it comes back a lot. And I was actually very fortunate during the two years of COVID because I worked a lot as an actor, which surprised me. I did. I worked a lot. It still shocks me. And I had a bit of survivor's guilt because I knew a lot of my friends were not as lucky. And meanwhile, I was like, I booked a commercial. I did this. I did that. I was recurring on Law & Order like twice in one year or three times. And I will say, as somebody who is your friend (gasps) and who does have the beauty of following you on Instagram, (laughs) that you see the wins and then you also see the process. So on average, during that year-long period, or maybe two years, when you were booking these jobs, do you have an average of how many auditions you actually did out of your apartment? Oh my God, I used to keep track. I must have done hundreds. When you got out of grad school, how long would you say oh my God. did it take you to start booking jobs? And I guess this could be a two-part question. Right. How long did it take you to book a job, right? Because there's always that moment where you book a job and you think, this is it. Right. Next stop, star on, um, on Hollywood Boulevard. Exactly. And then there's this inevitable like, <laughs> giant pause. And then yeah. you book again. And when did that start to happen on a con- in a s- consistent basis? I mean, I graduated during the recession. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to be fine. We all have that thought, right? It's like, you know, it's so hard to be an actor, but I'm going to be different. I had three really big auditions. One was for a Broadway show, two were for the public. And I was like, it was great. My God, I'm going to be totally fine, totally fine. And I didn't get any of them. Mm. And I was like, it's okay. It's totally fine. That was just a sign of things to come. And then just crickets, Mm. total, total crickets. I was lucky enough to have a job. And the job was again? I was a studio manager for Anna Luisa's, who's still a friend of mine. She's a set designer. So when I got into grad school, she's like, I need someone to help me run my studio. Could that be you? And I said, yes. And she said, I just want you to know that school always comes first. If you have a project, I don't want to see you. If you have a midterm, I don't want to see you. And I knew how lucky I was. Yeah, that was really great. So she kept me employed all three years. And then when I graduated, she had gotten even bigger. And she said, well, I need someone more in my office now. I said, okay. So I stayed there. And it was the same thing. She's like, if you have an audition, I don't want to see you. Like, that oh always my comes gosh. First. Yeah, it was, it was, I was very, very fortunate. Um, she's just a really good person. So I had that job and that was paying my rent and paying my bills. But it was hard. I remember I went in for Williamstown and thinking like, this is going to be it. Like, I'm Uh going to go. Didn't get it. I went in for the Guthrie. This is like one of my first big auditions after those three big ones that I'd had graduating. And I didn't get it either. And I just remember I was in at a studio and I started crying. Mm. I was just like, I can't. When is it going to happen for me? And she's like, you knew this was going to be hard. I did. I did know this was going to be hard. And she's like, yeah, you didn't think it'd be this hard. Right. No, I didn't. Would you say that that was sort of a holy shit moment for you? It was a holy shit moment. I was just sort of like, well, what is this what it's going to be like? And just being so angry at the sort of inequity of it all, I think it was just, you know, my program was not as prestigious as NYU or Juilliard or Yale. And those kids have an easier time coming out of school just because they're one of the big three. Right. And um, and yes, very good actors come out of those schools. Very good actors come out of my school. And yes. so, it, you know, and I get it. It's capitalism. It's marketing. They're an easy sell. Totally understand. But the unfairness of it all just really got to me because I was just like, I am just as good. Right. You wanted a fair shot. I want a fair shot, you know, like we all do. And so that 
really upset me because especially since I had, in film production, I had sort of accelerated up the ladder so quickly. And like this, I just, in the back of my mind, assumed it was going to be the same thing, knowing that it wasn't, like having enough actor friends to be like, okay, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. But seeing that it's hard and actually experiencing that it's hard are two completely different things. Right. So with this like, moment of despair of, you know, uh, graduating, having already tasted success in a very competitive realm of the entertainment industry, working on set is no joke, and uh, those long hours and then climbing that ladder, there seems to be sort of a a hierarchy that you sort of go from one thing to the next and you sort of move up the ladder of respect and move up the ladder of like, you learn this skill, you move up, and then you never go back down kind of thing. Right, you never go back down. And in acting, you go back down all the time. Like I was talking— to this fellow actor who's had like a very, you know, he's had an amazing career. And he said, yeah, you say to your agent one day, it's like, I don't want to go in for co-stars anymore. And then the bills need to be paid and you haven't booked in a while. And you say, you go to him and you're like, you know what? I'll take that Mm co-star, you know, and it's just part of you have to stay humble. And I remember that a lot. It's hard because I made that decision because you talked about like, oh, that one job, like, I'll do this in, like, smooth sailing from now on. So I got my recur, my first big recur on a TV show, which was Maniac. I was not expecting it to come. I was at the movies with my friend and turned my phone back on at 8.30, and there's, like, this email from my agent saying, like, hi, like, they want to see you for the show tomorrow. There's no script. Wait, let's just talk about this for a second. Because the minute that you turn your phone off as an actor, the mm-hmm. minute where you completely turn your phone off, oh, yeah. don't check your email, Everyone go to a movie you. with your friend, yeah. that's when they call. That's when they call. If you're constantly At nighttime, checking. when you're at a movie, you're like, I'm going to go live my life. And yeah, it let just me go happens. on vacation. Let me go on vacation, and then, and then they're like, "What? You went on vacation?" Like, and you're no. like, "I booked out." That just happened. Like I was going on my first vacation. Like my friend convinced me to go to Marfa, Texas, and which was amazing. Thank you, Monet. I was literally the day before I left. I put five auditions on tape. Oh my! <laughs> I was just like, what is going on? And my manager's like, "Well, we're certainly keeping you busy." I was like, "I better not." And I got a call back while I was on vacation. I really needed a break, and my agent was like, "I totally understand." And of course, there's an email. She's like, "So they 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 want to see you again." <laughs> um, I just told them that you were in the middle of the desert with a tin hat on. She didn't. <laughs> keeping out the aliens. She's like, but do you want to do this or not? And I was like, no, because we're driving, literally driving to um, the desert tomorrow to go hiking. So I was like, it's okay. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And it's obviously not. Just it's like, that balance, right, yeah. of career and life and when does one sort of bleed into the other and right. how much energy do you give to the career and how mm-hmm. much energy do you give to your life and right. your personal life and then when do you separate the two exactly also? and like what's more important right now mm-hmm. it's like what do I want to give up what can't and you know when back in the day I would have been like yeah I'll give this up I'll get but I run into that even now like going on vacation my my sister and I were going to go to Disney together, and it was going to be this, like, sister vacation at Disney. And then Law & Order calls. I'm like, hi, we'd like to come back. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And, of course, it's right in the middle of when we were supposed to go to Disney. And it was when Florida was having that huge surge. But in my mind, I was like, well, I can fly down there, go to Disney for a few days, fly back up. And my father 
was the one who's like, are you insane? There's a surge going on. What if you come back and you have COVID? If oh you have gosh. COVID, you can't work. And I'm like, oh, dad. dad. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And also, you know, making your, making the, um, the amount to qualify for health insurance is a real thing. And I said, if I take this job, mm-hmm. That will not even be a question. It's like, I'll basically be set. And then in the back of mine, it was a financial decision. I was like, you know, and I was like, all right, well, I'll give up Disney. Yes. And then you, (laughs) I just want to explain to the listeners what qualifying for SAG health insurance is. SAG health insurance is sort of like the pot of gold at the Mm -hmm. end of the rainbow. Yes. Uh, It's the thing that when you do qualify for it at the end of the year, you're like, oh, I'm the shit. <laughs> yeah. No. I have health insurance. But <laughs> within the Screen Actors Guild Union, one of the things that you can get is health insurance if you do enough, if you get to a certain yeah. amount monetarily or mm-hmm. a certain amount of days working. But actually, it is, you must meet the eligibility threshold because, thank you, Google, mm. currently $26,470 six in thousand. covered earnings during your 12-month base earnings period. Yep. So. If it goes beyond a quarter, sometimes the earnings will carry over. Mm-hmm. And then the real bugger is that sometimes the earnings will expire. Yes. So you will have had <laughs> earnings in one quarter. And sorry if this is boring to all of you, but this is the one of the many struggles because one year you could be completely covered and then the following year not. And one of the things that Screen Actors Guild covers with health insurance is mental health. What we all need, I mean, just the nature of what we do. So I believe that that is one of the most important things on our journey as artists and actors. And one of the things that still has a huge stigma around it for. Yeah. So can you. Well, it's crazy because as actors, there's no stigma around it. Like everyone's in therapy, you know, because, again, I had two very, very good acting years during COVID. I was like, oh, I can finally afford to go into therapy. And I tried it before. And, you know, it's like when you have bad insurance, your choices are limited, unfortunately. So I was like, I can afford to go. And another thing was a friend of mine who's a writer and of Mexican descent, she and I were talking about therapy. And I was like, I don't know. It didn't really like work the first time around. And she's like, find find a woman of color. And I was like, oh, I'd never thought about that. And yeah, she was like, find a woman of color. I'm telling you, it's a game changer. I'm like, okay, okay. I had been following Asian Americans for Mental Health, which is an Instagram account. And it's this uh, therapist who I believe is in Canada, but she had started this account because in the Asian American community, there's still a stigma against, you know, mental health and going to therapy. And it really helped me. A lot of my friends followed it. um, And that sort of inspired me. I was like, you know what? I would like to go to therapy. I would like to, you know, work out some things and I can afford it. So I found someone who's Korean American. She's great. Also, like with the revelations that everyone's had during COVID about, you know, white supremacy and how it infiltrates everything and and white comfort. And um, I realized I've been dealing a lot of that just in our business. Mm -hmm. It's just so, Mm -hmm. and I just sort of dealt with it, you know, and I didn't realize how much it affected me until COVID, until I had a chance to step back until George Floyd, until all of that. You know, it was always there, but you're too busy, especially as a New Yorker, to deal with it. Right. And as an actor, because you're trying to survive. And then I had this time, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do this now. And it, God, it's been, it's just so amazing to have 
access to this, you know. And did you meet with them via Zoom over? Um, I did it all over email, you know, um, but uh, my right now. Your I do sessions telehealth. were over email? No, our oh. sessions are um, our sessions are through uh, like FaceTime yeah, or Zoom. Or... Doxy. It's oh, like Doxy. This, yes, yeah. it's the one that's official. It's the official, you know, secure platform for your therapy. Yes. <laughs> because one needs that needs to be confidential. We're not sponsored by Doxy, but we're not we sponsored wouldn't by mind Doxy. it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Doxy, if you're listening, <laughs> you have lots of users. You're a very nice platform, by the way. Just to have access to these sessions has just been, and to work through all this and just know that you're normal and mm-hmm. be like, you know, being told, being told that you deal with a lot of rejection from other actors is one thing. Being told by your therapist is another, you know, because you hear it more, I think, or at least I did. So it's almost as if, if I may, it's almost as if it validates it. It validates yeah. the reality of constant rejection. Right. And so how, aside from the se- the therapy sessions, which mm-hmm. I'm 1,000% on board with, oh, yes. do you have any other modalities or any other things that you do in order to better support yourself through these times, through times of rejection, which no matter who you are in this career and mm. no matter what level, quote unquote, you get to, right. there will always be a dip. There right. will always be a no. So, And a lot of that is just out of your control. And mm-hmm. I think for someone like me who has control issues, Hi. <laughs> working on it. And just knowing that taking care of yourself is not, there shouldn't be a stigma against it. I got diagnosed with generalized anxiety and mm-hmm. I didn't want to go on medication. I have no problem with anyone who does. But for me, there was a resistance and I didn't know why. And But I remember that acupuncture had helped me before. So oh, yeah. I was like, oh, so I can afford that now because my plan covers it. So yeah. <laughs> why don't I? So that's what I do now. And just take, and, you know, having a really good, like, you know, team of doctors is like, I started going to this good doctor and I said, I've gained weight during COVID. I mean, who didn't? Of course. And 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 um, he's like, you know what? We all had to deal with it the way we deal with it. And he's like, your blood pressure is great. You're in, still in really good shape. And it's like, you know, whatever makes you happy. This is a really weird time as opposed to a doctor would have shamed me and been like, what are you doing? Blah, right. Blah. So it's, it's all super important, like having a good supportive network of people around you like really good people because yeah can you elaborate on like I am not Asian American so Mm -hmm. I this is specific to you like Mm -hmm. the Asian American experience as an actor and (laughs) also then adding in the taboos around therapy so yeah I mean is that something that you discuss amongst your peers oh yeah all the time it's just I mean I talk about this a lot you know and I work with a lot of students as well like I work with students at Bristol Vic and occasionally with students at the new school and when I was in school that vocabulary didn't exist at the time that's so true yeah just like white supremacy and like um and and white like unconscious bias and privilege and bias no. and all of that. None of that did. Institutional racism, you know, all of that. None totally. of that existed. And I came up through the system and I was really proud that I'd come up through that system. I mean, this is so hard to say, but I mean, I talked with these students. I was like, what I want to tell you if you are an actor of color is like, do not feel that you have to transcend your race. Uh-huh. You know, I made people like not see it because people are, th- that doesn't honor it. You know, people should see your color and they should honor it instead of being like, oh, it's colorblind. Like, I don't see color at all, which is a lie. Come on. It, it's a huge lie. But growing up, you know, going through the system with that, it's like people won't see my color because they'll see how good I am, quote, end quote. And then, 
you know, standing on my head to like be the best so that I could get hired. I mean, it was a lot. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it was out of my control. It's like, I can't tell you how many times I've like seen who's gotten cast and it's like a white person. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know. Um, and would you say like the, the the things that you've sort of put in your tool belt of skills to sort of navigate your way through this career, therapy, acupuncture, uh, surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals, right. those things are the things that you sort of a well, support system. Support system. Yeah. Those are the things that you fall back on mm-hmm. in those moments. And and now, as you've had years in the business, you can now sort of dispel the myth and also extend this knowledge to the next yeah generation. Yeah, and just sort of be you know, tell them that, you know, there's so much that's out of your control. Mm-hmm. This is one of them, you know. And and again, like, that doesn't mean that you stop speaking up and stop calling out things, you know. But just know that just take that pressure off of you because that you have no control over that, you know. Yeah. You do in that you have a voice and that you can speak up when things are unfair, as you should, you know. That's what I kind of want to impart to yeah. the next generation of, like, people coming up. And, yeah, as an Asian-American actor too you know it's just this idea that like you know we exist in this meritocracy and like as long as you keep your head down and like work and don't make a fuss everything is fine like I didn't realize for me I always considered myself an outspoken person but to realize like how much I prioritize white comfort was actually really upsetting to me and like it was ways that I didn't even think of it's the society it's that we're built in into the society it's built into the society mm-hmm. and so to deal with that is is hard and so I think you know a like mental health is just so and also like being the child of like you know my parents immigrated here and they're first generation Americans and it's just you know to want to do them proud and you know just the pressure to succeed is just there all the time but also just being like an Asian American actor as well just because there's such a stigma against mental I mean there still is you know so it's just like I haven't even told my parents that I'm in therapy you know Um, but I told my sister the pressure to succeed is just there all the time, you know, especially since I chose a career path that, you know, that was not, what's the word I'm searching for? Traditional. traditional thank you. Yes, yeah. not traditional. It's like. Or um, one that was a guarantee, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, or a guarantee. I remember when I decided to be a filmmaker, you know, of course they were worried. But when I became an actor, you know, it's really, really funny because when I went to grad school all I wanted to do was theater and oh yeah yeah all I wanted to do was theater and my career sort of steered me towards film and tv and I was like all right well I'm getting more work here that doesn't mean I'm not a good theater actor it just means like here's where the opportunities Mm -hmm. are but that kind of screwed with my head bit and you know therapy is just like no that's not true that's the story you tell yourself and I'm like okay yes did you graduate being part of the union? No. So my program didn't have an affiliation with the theater. Oh I got mine gosh. five after I graduated. And um, yeah, it, I mean, it was work and it was a lot of hustling and it was a lot of. But this is what I mean about finding good people. So I did a showcase, which if you guys don't know, a showcase code is where you do not get paid. Yes. <laughs> but the run is only like a week or two limited rehearsal. So I did a showcase with a friend of mine. She's still a really good friend, Lori Vega. And um, we were backstage talking. She's another actor of color. She's Puerto Rican. She was like, I can't believe you're not represented. And she's like, well, I work with Ken Park. And I was like, oh, I'd heard of him, but I don't really know. And she's like, well, you know, try him. You know, why not? So I started working with Ken. And as then, a agent or manager? As a manager. So 
That's amazing. Yeah, which was amazing. It, it was kind of weird. He's like, send me your headshots. Let's start working together. I was like, you don't even know if I can act. Okay, fine. So I did. Yeah. And then um, and then he got me an audition. This is after a few years of working with him for Avenue Q, which was an arc at the Arkansas Rep. And at this point, Avenue Q was the show I'd gone in for right out of grad school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to be on Broadway. Things are going to be great. Didn't get it. Totally fine. But then after that, I went in for that show 10 times for like for the Broadway show, for different regional productions, never booked it. So by the time this comes around, I'm over it. I know the fucking songs. (laughs) I don't need the fucking sides. Like, whatever. You want me to do this? Okay. You're calling me back. Great. Don't give a shit. Like, left such a bad attitude. (laughs) Well, maybe not. I was just like, fuck it. I don't care. I've gone in for the show. I'm not going to book this one. Who gives a shit? Got home. Opened up my email the next day. I was like, hi, like they want you. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like I was floored. The amount of disbelief I know. when you have one of those wins. So would you say that this is one of the first wins? Yeah, that was one of the first wins. I mean, the thing is, too, it's like they're all wins, you know, like booking yeah. my first commercial out of grad school. Like that was a win. And would you say that it was a particular job or one moment that convinced you to stay on the roller coaster or or was it I mean you have those all the no time no matter what in the back of your head that you're like no it's okay it's going to happen eventually i'll just stay i don't know it's you know right now it's like really slow for me right now in my second job my video editing job and my acting job mm-hmm. so it's just sort of like uh, getting it at both ends and i'm like well why am i still here and the thing is it's like i still i still love being an actor i mean so do you yeah. you know it's just like that magic that just happens when you book a job when you get an audition like you know it's just like <gasps> i get to like break the script down and i get to like put my stamp on it and i get to be an actor for the 2 minutes that i'm putting myself on like yes. that still makes me really like I'm smiling like a fool right now. But that that sort of like rush that you get, you're like, oh, my God, this is like so great. Oh, yeah. Like even when you now it's just auditioning in a rooms and you turn the cameras on and, you know, you put it on tape. It's still so much fun for me. Mm-hmm. And like when I walk on set, like I was on set for a commercial and um, it was the last one of the year. I booked this commercial in December and my agent is also my friend. And she was like, so I saw t- this one. It was very funny. Thank you. Um, thank you. Uh, but, uh, she, you know, I walked onto set and, you know, you see the lights and you walked on and you're just like, this is great. And it's a commercial for Comcast. I'm just like so incredibly grateful. Or, you know, I did a reading the other day and it was a new work and I was like, oh, this is great. Like get to work on new work and get to be with all these people who have had these really amazing careers and like get to put my stamp on it and just like do what I do and do what I love to do. It's like, so I try really hard to remember those moments. So if right now things are sort of in the side job, which is not really a hustle, it's a side, so it's yeah. a second career, which it's is amazing yeah. and a very successful acting career. So right now, both of them are, you know, not as robust as right. you would like, but what's next for you professionally and Personally, personally, professionally, personally, um, professionally, I don't know. It's just because both things. I mean, I don't want to give up being an actor, not no. for anything. But the second career, it's hard. It's it's just like, do I want to keep doing this? It's the idea of a second job or a, a diverged, a diverged path, or diverged in the woods. Yes, right. A path yes. diverged in the woods. Robert uh, Frost. Anyway, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the idea that 
When that happens, when you pivot, when something like a pandemic happens and the city shuts down and your work dries up or your career changes, right. it's the idea that it's it's not failure. Or you take, yeah. a, you take a second job in addition to being an actor, in addition to still having that dream of, you know, Broadway, TV, film. Right. But it doesn't mean failure when you take on those other things or when you do right. what is deemed necessary. Well, it's just the artist's life, you yeah. know. It's like if you don't make a living just doing solely this, then you're a failure. And it's just not true. And that's still really hard for me to grasp. But I'm a partner in a production company now. And so you're right. It's just like taking those wins. And it's mm -hmm. like I co-head the development department, which is what I had wanted to do. So I could read a lot of scripts and, you know, meet a lot of new On the, In this production company. In this production company. But our first Can feature. Can you tell our listeners what the name of it is? Yes. It's Team Access Productions. We were awarded the AT&T Untold Stories grant. Um, That's amazing. Which, which is great. Right. Those wins, right? And it was just like, and it premiered at Tribeca this year. It's called Land of Gold. It's a really, really beautiful film. Like, I remember reading the script, um, Nardeep Kermi. He's the writer and director. And I remember reading it and, you know, I'd read a lot of scripts and I read it. And I was like, this story is so beautiful. Uh, and this is the first script in a long time that I read that I want to be a part of this. Like, mm -hmm. I want to be part of the team that makes this. So we got the grant. Um, we premiered at Tribeca and, you know, it's doing really well on the festival circuit. So proud of that. And then I was able to write. I wrote like two TV pilots and I'm writing a third one right now. And I'm like, OK, I have time to do this. This is great. It's just continuing to ride that roller coaster like up and down right. and, and trying really hard to not want that next job to save you. Mm. You know, the oh next just waiting for that to happen. And, and they always say that, right? Just when you're about to give up, that's when something really great happens. And um, and then you have to remember, too, that that's a moment like with Maniac, like to go way back in a conversation. But that's when I thought that moment was going to be for me because I was in nine out of 10 episodes. Right. And it was with Emma Stone and Jonah, you know, and it's being directed. Also by a really great show. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> People have differing opinions. My father has quite a different one. My mother loved it, which surprised me. Uh, but, you know, I got that job and I was working with these really great people, um, a lot of whom I'm friends with. And and I was like, this is it. This is going to be it for me. And yeah. it wasn't. <laughs> right. And uh, you have to be uncomfortable with uncertainty because mm -hmm. you never know what's going to happen. And I carry that with me a lot, especially when, you know, especially having worked in production and being a producer, my job was to anticipate and be like, okay, if this happens, we'll do this. This is the contingency if this happens, blah, 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 blah. You can't really do that when you're an actor. Do you know? It's just because you never know what's going to happen. Right. And you have to be kind of willing to sort of like let go of this plan that you've had in your head. It's sort of yeah, like it's, life. <laughs> yeah, right? You know? Times 10 because Times everything is like heightened. And you're like, right. oh, God, I have to let go of this plan. I cannot believe, because we do know each other, that I didn't know all of these things. Uh, that I didn't know all of these things about you. You have been <laughs> an incredible guest and... Thank you for coming in and just listening and sharing your life with me. I I don't know. There's something very special to be able to sit down and really listen to somebody else and the journey that they've been on this far. And especially as a woman and a woman of color, mm -hmm. I really, really appreciate you being here today. Thank you for Thank talking you. with us. It's been lovely. 
This podcast was created and produced by Heather Corrigan and Robin Lai. A very special thanks to our guest, Kat Cho, for joining us today. This episode was directed by Robin Lai and recorded by Michael Bader. Content editing by Neve McAuliffe. Post-production by JMM Latam and mastered by Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Boom Integrated and Adrian Glover. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share it with all of your friends. Tune in next week as we bring you more women's stories that are totally badass and dramatic.